You are listening to a message by Travis Scott from our gatherings at Shorebreak. Visit shorebreakchurch.com to get connected with more content. And if you would like to support the gospel being preached in Kona and to thousands online, your tax-deductible donation enables us to further Jesus' mission. Partner with us by giving at shorebreakchurch.com backslash give. Mahalo. Well, aloha. Welcome to Shorebreak. We're so glad that you guys are joining with us this morning. If you have a Bible, turn to Titus chapter 3. Titus chapter 3, we are in our second to last message here in Titus. And as you guys are hopefully scrolling, making, sliding, however you have your Bible on your phone, you're making your way over to that. Um, One thing for announcement, uh, we are getting ready to launch into the Christmas season as a church. And so uh, getting ready for Advent, um, looking forward to Jesus and celebrating his season and him wrapping himself in humanity. And so part of that is um, coming up in a couple weeks, we're going to be doing a small Christmas series. So it's going to be a little Christmas series on what we're calling Rejoice, Make Much of the King. And so we hope you guys, uh, as a people, we need to know that people are more ready and willing and acceptive to come to church. And so um, especially invite them to the 11, okay? Um, the 11 service needs a little bit of love. We thought it would be the opposite, but the, the nine is like filling up. So when you invite someone, especially if they're kind of hungover, if they're that type of person, invite them to the 11 a.m. But nonetheless, be bringing them to church, be inviting them to church. We are really excited about our couple message series that we're going to be doing during the Advent Christmas time this year. Well, last week we talked about mission um, from verses 1 and 2 from Titus chapter 3. And we know that everything we do is Christians. So our, our Bible study, our sermons, the songs that we sing, everything we do is not for us just to become more godly for the sake of becoming more godly, but for us to glorify God and that as we grow in the knowledge of the word, we are then empowered to go out and make more disciples. Disciples make disciples. And one of the ways practically we saw that working itself out here in verses 1 and 2 from Titus chapter 3 is that by us living exceptional lives, we are reflecting a glorious God. That the way we live does matter. The way that we do conduct our lives affects the impact of the gospel. But what can happen, and we've all been there. All right, well, I'm a Christian, and I I got my church, I got my house, got my boyfriend and my girlfriend, or my my spouse, I've, I've... And we kind of get complacent, right? And we kind of get comfortable. And what can happen is as we get comfortable and we become complacent, we eject from the mission that God has called us to be on and we get comfortable. And Paul, knowing that being the case for our lives, offers us this remedy from us instead of being stale and boring and unmissional Christians. He says, no, no, no. The remedy is to remember who you once were. That before you became a Christian, before you loved Jesus, go back to your before Christ days. And some of us have uh, some not so nice days. And some of us, we're actually pretty moral people. But whatever that looks like for you, Paul would say, bring yourself back. Go back to that place of what it looks like before you were a Christian and understand how you were saved. Remember, we once were not following God. We were kind of doing our own thing. 
And so in doing so, what we're going to do today is we're going to recover the understanding of how we became a Christian, of what it looks like in becoming a Christian. And so if you take notes, we've titled our message this morning, Throwback Regeneration. Throwback Regeneration. And we're going to pick it up in Titus chapter 3, starting in verse 3, and it reads this. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, Slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our day in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of our God and Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. The saying is trustworthy and true. I want to insist you on these things so that you who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for people. Let's pray. God, we come before you right now as a church needing to hear your word, needing to drink from the well of truth. So as we sit and as we're, our, our Bibles are open, Holy Spirit, would you open up our ears and our hearts to see what you have spoken to us in Scripture. Holy Spirit, as we are soon going to read, we can't do anything at all apart from you. So would you have your way with us this morning? Would you come in and would you make a place in our hearts? And would you be over this church and would you be over us as a people? Help us to understand of how we became a child of God. So God, would you bless this time? We, take, we want this time to glorify you. We all pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I love what Paul does here. Before we get all pharisaical, before we get too cool for school, we're like, oh, I'm a Christian, I got my life all figured out. Paul does something really unique here in these verses. He says, all right, before you think you're, you're, you're all Christian and you got your life figured out, remember where you once were. Remember that you weren't always the way that you are right now. So Paul, what he does here is he steps into the boxing rink, gloves on, and just starts swinging for the knockout right off the bat. I mean, he is not holding any punches back. He's going for it full force. And what he says here, and what we've read clearly, is that you did not save you. You did not save you. You did not save yourself. Jesus saves you. Jesus saves us. And in a book of only 46 verses, there are only 46 verses here in Titus, Jesus is mentioned six times, he is referred to six times throughout the book of Titus as Savior. So Jesus is Savior. Jesus is someone who rescues us, which I love because we worship a God who saves. Isn't that awesome? Like what if Jesus, what if God wasn't a God who saves? I mean, bad news for us. But we worship a God who delights in saving sinners. And as we read here, he saved us. 
Now, this completely makes sense when we understand who we once were. Because there is no need for a savior if we aren't that bad, right? If we're not that bad, if we're not that wicked, then there is real, there's no real need to, to have a savior to come rescue us from something. And so here is where we're going to roll up our sleeves. We're going to do some work here a little bit. And, and let me just invite you, let me ask you, lay aside some of the preconceived thoughts that you've had. And let us hear directly from the scriptures because I'm going to be pressing up against a few things that that really aren't necessarily popular and uh, evangelicalism as as a whole today. And if you don't know what evangelicalism is, it's just Christianity at large. And I want you to not just hear, and even though you might disagree in a sense, I want you to hear the scriptures, not just hear my voice, but hear the voice of God in these verses. And so to start, the biblical description, to start, the biblical description of fallen man is not a glimmer of hope. Just, just so you know. We aren't a snowflake. Now I know grandma probably told you that you're a snowflake, you're really special, but, but we're not. We're not a snowflake, we're not special. When we're born, we're not okay people. We are wicked people. We are not, a lot of us think we're born into this world neutrally moral. Like, we have this choice, so, all right, I'm going to go this way, I'm going to go this way. But that couldn't be further from the truth, because the biblical description of fallen man is not, well, we're not that bad. We're semi-okay people. The reality is we've all been born with the disease, and the disease that we've been born into and born with is sin. All of us. And none of us can es- escape this. And the disease of sin was so rampant that it spread through from Adam to all of us, to every single one of us. And so we've all inherited this sin, so much so that Romans 3.23 says what? For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Everyone. Everyone has sinned. There's no exception. There is no snowflake. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And so the biblical description, rather than being a glimmer of hope, a fallen man is quite the opposite. Fallen man is, is desperate. Fallen man is dark. Fallen man is hopeless. And the Bible says that before we were born again, before regeneration, here is the condition of your heart. And if you're taking notes, just write the references down. You can look them up later. But here's what the Bible says about our fallen condition. Ephesians 2.1 says that we are dead. We are dead in our trespasses and sins. Matthew chapter 13 verses 14 and 15. And John chapter 12 verses 39 and 40. The Bible tells us that we are blind and we are unable to see. Jeremiah 17.9 and Romans 1.21 tells us that our hearts are deceived. Our hearts are wicked and our hearts are desperately wicked. John 8.34, Romans 6.17, we are described as slaves and in bondage. And what Paul does here, look down at verse 3 again, uh, describing the human condition. I want you to see this. What does he say? For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and in envy, hated by others and hating one another. So that's not a very good description before we were saved. Am I right? 
Paul's like, you are slaves. You are, you are haters of each other and one another. We're slaves in bondage. Ephesians 2, 3 tells us that we are children of wrath. And in John 8, 34, Jesus, speaking from, it's red letters, Jesus says that we are children of Satan. So let me ask you, can blind men see? Can deaf men hear? Can dead people give themselves life? Are slaves free? Can children change who their parents are? No wonder Paul, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, writing over six times, mentioning Jesus as a Savior, and specifically verse 5, he writes this, He saved us. And circle that, underline that, mark that on your hearts. He saved us. Because we need saving. Do you see the condition of mankind? No doubt we need saving. Because dead people cannot give themselves life. Blind people cannot make themselves free. Or see, rather. People who are enslaved, who are slaves, have no ability to be free. Because they are, in fact, a slave. But God, who is rich in mercy, rescues our hopeless soul and breathes life into us. And what does he do? He saves us. You guys, God saves us. He saves us. I love that we have a God who saves. And this idea is not, this isn't just a pure in Titus uh, 3.5. This, this idea is woven throughout and, and, and is, is harmoniously seen throughout the Old and the New Testament. Um, I can't help but think of Jonah, right? I mean, Jonah is a, that guy, he's gone through a lot in his, his life. So think about Jonah for a moment. Jonah is called by God and says, you need to go into Nineveh and preach the gospel. So what does Jonah do? Run the opposite way. He doesn't just kind of not go that way, but he runs the opposite way. And so what Jonah does in running the opposite way is, well, God's like, I'm, I'm going to send a storm. Because it's not, it's, not, it's not happening, Jonah. So God sends a storm sovereignly. The boat is rocking, about to sink, and the guys are throwing stuff overboard. And Jonah's like, you know what? This is my fault. Just throw me overboard. So they throw Jonah overboard. Immediately lands in the sea. The storm is calm. And the guys must have been like, what is happening right now? And Jonah might be thinking, hey, well, maybe you should throw me. Can I come back, right? And so out of nowhere, a giant fish or whale or whatever you want to call it, that's not this conversation right now, swallows up Jonah, and Jonah's like, I'm going to die. I mean, if a, if a giant whale came or fish, whatever, swallowed you up, you're like, I'm, this is over. But he doesn't die, does he? So for three days, he is in the belly of the whale, and on the third day, the fish vomits him out, on the shores near Nineveh. And what does he say in Jonah 2.9? Salvation is of the Lord. And it makes sense because when you continue to read throughout Jonah, Jonah goes and stands before a people who he hates, everyone else hates, the Ninevites, and he goes and stands before these wicked people. We don't have time to get into how messed up these people were. And he goes and proclaims reluctantly. Like I come up on Sunday morning and the other pastors that we've had, we, we, we are passionate about the gospel. Jonah's like, yeah, you guys are idiots. You're morons. You might want to repent because God's going to send fire down from heaven. And what do they do? Oh my gosh, we're wrong. We're so, look what we've done. 
And Jonah's like, are you kidding me? Those people? Salvation is of the Lord, Jonah 2.9. Psalm 3.8, salvation belongs to the Lord. Blessings be on your people. Psalm 68, verse 20, our God is a God of salvation. And to God, the Lord, belong deliverance from death. So even, hear me out, deliverance from death belongs to the Lord. 2 Timothy 1.9, speaking of God, who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began. Determined before the world began. Jesus in John 10 verse 28 says, I gave them eternal life. They will never perish. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. And in John 14 verse 6, Jesus speaking, what does he say? I I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one can go to the Father. No one can get to heaven. No one can be in paradise except through Jesus. Except through him. So he saved us. He saves us. And salvation is a work of God. We have to understand that. We have to understand that. Salvation is a work of God and God alone. Charles Spurgeon said this. We are to under, speaking of the same topic, we are to understand by this that the whole work of whereby men are saved from their natural estate of sin and ruin and are translated into the kingdom of God and made heirs of eternal happiness is of God and Him only. For salvation is is of the Lord. So it is the grace of God alone that saves us. And 1 Corinthians 1.15 also enlightens that truth that not only is, are we saved in the past, but we are continuously being saved by the grace of God. Now hear me out. There is a mystery. There is a splendor behind this all. Paul said we see through a glass dimly. But know this, the Bible makes it clear that salvation is the work of God and is not the work of ourselves. God needs no help with it. He makes no apology. God is going to do what God is going to do. And when it comes to salvation, God doesn't need counseling and God doesn't need guidance. In fact, before the sun was set ablaze, before the first star was thrown into the night, God had made a plan and a way for salvation. And guess what? He made the plan without us. He accomplished it apart from us, and he did it all throughout Jesus. And we had absolutely no say in it. He accomplished it alone. Which, what does that mean then for us? God owes us nothing. God is not in debt to man. And we feel like today where we have an entitlement, right? Don't we? I mean, we we feel entitled to everything. And if we don't get our way, we get upset because, well, well, man, I didn't get my way. And so I'm going to get frustrated. And so when we order the coffee and the coffee comes to us, we get angry. Or on Black Friday, I, I went and after kind of all the madness and I wanted to go get a phone. My phone's dying. I need the phone. 
People are like, they got like the brand new one and they just got the brand new one after they got the brand new one. It's like, my, my phone's old. It's get, I need a new phone. And so I go up there and I get upset because I feel like I have an entitlement to get what I want. And that's how we are. We feel like we've created this, this, this culture of consumerism where it's about us. And, and what happens is we think, well, God is indebted to us. God owes us salvation. It's only fair. But a God owes us nothing. God is not indebted to man. Isn't that what gr- makes grace grace? Grace is God's unmerited favor. God doing his good will to those who do not deserve it. Grace is unmerited, is an unmerited gift. And he doesn't owe us salvation. He doesn't owe us eternal life. And, and, and I know that goes against what some of us believe in even here. But when we understand the condition of fallen man, that we are dead, that we are blind, that we cannot see, that, that apart from the grace of God, there's no, absolutely no hope from us, well, then it makes perfect sense. Listen, if we all got what we deserved, if you want, we want to talk about fair for a moment. We want to talk about justice for a moment. We deserve hell. We deserve the wrath of God because all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. No one is righteous. No, not even one. And listen, we don't want fair. You and I, we do not fear. want fair. We want grace. Look at verse 4 with me uh, in Titus chapter 3. This is what I love. So when the, but when the loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us. So it is kind, it is God's loving kindness and goodness that saves us. And I love that, that that God is, you guys, we have such a good God. God is so, so kind. He is so incredibly loving. And I, I, I love the fact that he loves those who do not love him. That he has compassion to those who absolutely despise him. And that he shows kindness to us while we were still sinners. What type of God do we serve? So when we understand this, then the kind of the question is like, why are people saved, right? Why would God save anyone then if we all deserved hell? And here's what we need to see right now. You need to hear me on this. God saves people for his glory. Not because we're sweet. Not because we've got a lot to bring to the table in Christianity. I just offended everyone in here, including myself. I know. God saves for his own glory. And you guys, there are countless and countless. of. In fact, I'm going to challenge you this week. Go home. Grab your Bible. And look through everything that God does for his glory. Go just, I mean, I dare you. Go do it. Because this, this theme of God doing things for his glory uh, is, is throughout the Bible. Um, we're going to specifically focus on one section of verses that I think is really helpful. Turn to Psalm 106 right now if you guys can. Keep your finger in Titus. We're going to go back to Titus in just a few minutes. But uh, Psalm 106 Go there, starting in verse 6, and we're going to read verses all the way to verse 12. Psalm 106, verse 6, says this. 
Both we and our fathers have sinned. We have committed iniquity and we have done wickedness. Our fathers, when they were in Egypt, did not consider your wondrous works. They did not remember the abundance of your steadfast love, but rebelled by the sea at the Red Sea. Yet he saved them for his namesake. That he might make known what? His mighty power. So he rebuked the sea and it became dry and he led them through the deep as though it was desert. And so he saved them from the hand of the foe and he redeemed them from the power of the enemy. And the waters covered their adversaries. Not one of them was left. Verse 12, then they believed his words and they sang praises. I love this story here for a moment because... They're like, we have all sinned, we have committed iniquity, we have done wickedness. Even our fathers in Egypt did not consider your wondrous works. They weren't like worshiping God when Moses came along and it's like, all right, well, here we go, Pharaoh, here are the plagues. They were rebelling against God. And so God comes to them in the midst of their rebellion and he offers a way out because they're enslaved. See the picture, they're enslaved. And so God is going to make a way. Notice this through what? The Red Sea. See the picture there that is unfolding? Where God, where we are enslaved to sin in our old Egypt and God makes a way for us, not that we could do it on our own. And so he makes a way through the blood of Christ, through the sea of Christ's blood. And I love this picture though here. So not only do they not deserve it, they're standing there after seeing all the plagues. I mean, can you imagine if you were able to see all the plagues that took place in Egypt? Now they're standing there after seeing everything they have, looking at the Red Sea before them. And what do they start doing? You see the the armies start coming down. They start cursing God because that's logical. Let's just curse God. You've left this out to hear God. Thank you so much for doing this. And so they're just cursing God. Really cursing God? But God, in the midst of them cursing him, he saves them. Why? Verse 8. Yet he saved them for his name's sake. Guys, the heart of God in salvation is that. So he would be glorified, period. God saved you and me so that he alone would be glorified. Not that we deserved it, not that we've done anything to earn it, but that he alone did it for us without us deserving it, for his glory, for his namesake. And again, this is the theme of the Bible. That man is hopeless in sin with no way of escape. That we are dead in our sins. Dead people don't have life. We're buried. We're gone. We're six feet under. We're dead in our sins. And so what God does is God, Jesus, steps out of heaven and clothes himself in humanity. Not denying his deity as 100% God, but but he covers up his his deity and puts on humanity. And he is 100% man. And so he lives a life perfectly. And he does it all without sinning. And we know that sin isn't just doing something bad. Just so you know, sin is failing to give God God glory. Sin is failing to give God glory, maybe even in doing something good. And so in our sin, in our imperfections, Jesus lives perfectly and he fully glorifies God. We then know what Jesus is crucified. 
killed. On the third day, he arises again. He conquers death. He conquers sin. And in him, coming out of the grave and rising from death, he gives us his righteousness. He imputes righteousness to us. And then we, and then he in turn receives our punishment of sin, which he paid for 2,000 years ago on the cross. And it is finished. It is done. It is over with. So think about this story. Where are you and I in that story? God wrote the story without us. God made a way for salvation, and he didn't need us to counsel him his way through it. I mean, just for a moment, let's just pause for a second and like, look at some Old Testament characters. Abraham. Father Abraham, right? Abraham. God comes to Abraham, speaking to Abraham. He's like, yeah, you're going to have a kid. I know you're like 100 years old, but you're going to have a kid. Sarah's in the tent, hears it, laughs. Ha, right, my husband. Not happening. He's a hundred years old. But then what miraculously happens? They conceive a child. Now Abraham is like, yeah, man, I'm awesome. And look, who God's, look, look what I'm doing, man. I got this thing. And people are like, so what, what connection do you have? Like, how does that happen? How does a hundred year old? I mean, that, I mean, do you have a doctor? Can I get to, I mean, who's, who gets the glory for this? God's like, no, I, I get the glory for that. Right? Or even the Israelites. When they're there, standing at the sea, are they saying to the Egyptians, yeah, we're awesome, watch watch us part the Red Sea. No, they're, they're cursing God. They are cursing God. Like, they're cussing out God. Why did you bring us out here? And so, you know, the Egyptians, after they went through the Red Sea, they're like, we got that. See, we see what we just did there? There's not like, you know, Moses is like holding up the water. Like, I'm like, hurry, guys, go, go. Like, I mean, it's just, it's, it's just all the work of God. So much so that, the, the, that we are told in Psalm 106 that, that the ground was dry. They weren't even walking in mud. They were walking on dry ground. Or how about Rahab, who lived in Jericho? She's there. Word has gone viral about Israel and how they're coming and they're taking the land that God had set for them. And so Israel sends two spies into Jericho and Rahab meets these two spies. And they're dialoguing back and forth. They're talking story and what happens. Rahab tells the two spies, our people in Jericho, they are melting in fear. Did she say because of the Israelites? No, because of the Lord of the Israelites, because of God. You see how God is about his glory. God is for God. God is about his own glory. And he's, and, and he's going to do what he's going to do. And the result of God saving his people, you have to see this. See the cadence here in Psalm 106. The result of God saving his people is in Psalm 106.12. Then, then they believed his words and they sang praise. Belief is the evidence of a rescued soul. A person that is saved by God responds to faith in God. So that if we would only believe in him, if we would only believe the name of Jesus, we would be saved, right? John three sixteen, That for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him, he would not perish, but he would have everlasting 
life. Now, let me ask you real, real quick here on that. That's a good verse, right? Can we all agree in here? That's like an amazing verse, that God so loved the world that... Yet, is that the only thing Jesus said there? Because you have to remember, after John 3.16, there's, there's other verses. And, and then before John 3.16, there are other things that are happening there that reveal how loving God really is. So even though Jesus says, you must believe in me, and yet Jesus said just a couple verses later that we refuse to do so in John 3, 19 and 20. You catch that. Jesus in John 3, 19 and 20 just said, you need to believe in me, but he says, but yet you refused to do so. Because why? We love our sin. Because we love our darkness. And our bondage, just know this, our bondage is a result of our own desires. Your bondage to sin My bondage to sin is the result of our own heart's desires. We are responsible because we have willfully rebelled against Jesus and we are enslaved by our own self-worship. Now that is important to understand because it illuminates the vital doctrine of regeneration of which we read about in verse 5. Look down at verse 5 with me. He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. So what do we know then? What does this tell us? Only a born-again Christian can believe in God. Only a person who has been regenerate, who has been washed by the Holy Spirit, can profess faith in God. So you're like, well, then how do I know I'm born again? How do I? Well, do you believe in Jesus? If you profess the name of the Lord, that means He saved you. We've been regenerate. We've been born again, and we know that can only happen. You guys, here's what we need to see: How does that happen? It only happens through the power of God, the Holy Spirit. The second half of verse five. How does that happen? But according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit. Okay, so now, since we went to John 3, let's kind of go back in our minds to John chapter 3. What's the context? Jesus is having a conversation with a guy named Nicodemus. Now, we know Nicodemus is a teacher of the law, and he is an incredibly bright man. He so bright, so smart. He is the Pharisee of Pharisees. And Nicodemus had Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy memorized. The book of Numbers memorized. Have you read the book of Numbers? He had it memorized. And so Nicodemus approaches Jesus at night. And so he starts kind of small talk, right? You know, we just small talk. So Jesus, no one can do these things that you do unless he's sent from God. And I love what Jesus does. He completely ignores everything he just said. And and what Jesus tells Nicodemus, he says, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless he is what? Born again. And so the Nicodemus is like, what are you talking about? Am I going to climb back in my mother's womb and be born again? That's disgusting for the record. He's being sarcastic there, just so you know. Nicodemus knows that, that Jesus is using this metaphor here of being born again. He's smart. He's intelligent. He's picking up on this metaphor. And so what Nicodemus is like, well, then how is someone going to be born again? And what does Jesus say? In John chapter 3, verse 6, Jesus says, That which is born of the flesh 
is flesh. That which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Jesus said, someone in the flesh cannot produce spiritual life. Those who are of the flesh only do things of the flesh, but those who are born of the Spirit, well, they do things of the Spirit. That's Jesus, you guys. That's, that's Jesus said that. And some of you are like, oh my gosh, it's amazing. That's really deep, Jesus. What does Jesus say in verse 7? Do not marvel that I said this to you. You must be born again. He's picking up on, we're, on our hearts there. You must be born again. Okay, how does that happen? John 3.16 is, is, is the fruit of that. How, does that. how does that happen? Again, John 3, the context, verse 8. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. Students of the Bible, what is the wind symbolic of in the Holy, in the, in the, in, in, throughout the scriptures? The Holy Spirit. Jesus says this, and so it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. What does the Spirit do? The Spirit goes where it wishes. See, the reality of being born again is the work of God, the Holy Spirit. You guys, the very word born again, born again literally means to be born from above. It doesn't say you're born from within. It doesn't mean you're born from these external circumstances. You are born from above. You are born again. In fact, that's what 1 Peter 1.3 says. Write this down. Check this out later. Blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy, sound familiar? has caused us to be born again. He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Okay, so now, did he do it? Did he save us because of anything we've done? Anything at all? Anything? Good or bad? No. No one is righteous. In fact, that's why in verse 5, notice this, he said, he saved us, not because of works done by us, in righteousness. So even the righteous things that we've done, even the good things that we have done, even we, we woke up, man, we, we brushed our teeth, we made our bed, we let the person cut us off, and we were nice, and everything was good on our best and righteous day. God's like, no, oh, it's, not, it's not enough. That's not why I saved you. It has nothing to do with your righteousness. It is according to my own mercy. I can't help but think of Ephesians 2, 8, 9. For by grace you have been saved through what? Faith. Not that of yourselves, it is the what? The gift of God. What's the gift of God? Faith is the gift of God. Not by works so that no one can boast. So according to Paul in Ephesians 2, 8, 9, even the faith that I have received is a gift from God, which makes complete sense when you think about the Roman soldier who approaches Jesus, who doesn't have enough faith to believe in him. And what does he tell Jesus? Help me with my unbelief. Or when Peter in Acts chapter 3 is standing in the temple court, he just race, uh, he just uh, healed someone. God healed someone through him who was crippled and now he can walk. And he is on trial before the Jews. And they're like, how did you do this? How did you have the power? And Peter says, the faith which comes through him. Faith is from God. For by grace we have been saved through faith. Not it is ourselves, it is the gift of God. Not by works so that can't boast. So none of us in here have swag anymore. We have no bragging rights. You tracking with me? 
It's not by works. No, no. Paul's like, no one can brag about it. No one can boast about it. It is the work of God. God is so glorious that even in our own salvation, he receives all the glory. And we don't get to, we, there's no like commission. God, can I get 5%, 10% of the glory? No, I get the glory. Verse 6, we continue on and we read, whom he had poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, that's a big word there, we have to pause there, justified by his grace. So we know that grace is unmerited favor, grace is undeserved gift, and so what God does is God gives us the grace, and in giving us grace, we are justified. And justified means this, we have right standing before a perfect and holy God. Justified is God not looking at our own righteousness, but God looking at the righteousness of Christ. Not God looking at even our unrighteousness and our sin, but God seeing Jesus in us. And that happens through, again, verse 6, we are told the pouring of the Holy Spirit out on us richly. God's not like, oh, church, you want the Holy Spirit? Like, going to hold it overhead. All right, you get, a, you get a drop. God's like, it's a waterfall. It is a tsunami. It is a swell of, of, of Holy Spirit that I'm richly pouring out upon you. And the result of that is justification by grace that we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. You guys, we wait in hope of eternal life. We look forward to eternal life, not in hopelessness, but in hope through the Spirit of God. Paul knows we're going to have a hard time with all these things that I've said. What does he say in verse 8? This saying is trustworthy and true. Paul, this is true. And I want you to, I want to insist these things. And so Paul would have stood up before uh, Titus would have received this letter from Paul. Titus would have stood before the church there in Crete, and he would have read this letter out to them. And, and, and Paul's like, Titus insists these things on the Christians in Crete. And so I am saying to you, I'm insisting these things to us that this saying is trustworthy and true and worthy of full acceptance. Worthy of full acceptance. So that those who believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for people. This is awesome. Excellent. They are so beneficial. They are so important for us to understand. He says we'll do things for God. We were born again from God. And just so you know, when we are regenerate, when we are born again, what we mean by this is, is we have a new nature. We are born from above. We have a desire that is foreign to the desire that we once had. We are a new creation. In fact, when I was younger, um, I remember when I was early teens, even pre-teens a little bit and early teens, um, I had t- a lot of teenage boys. Their desires are, you know, rather off in certain areas, especially if they're unregenerate and born again. And one of mine was um, me and some of my friends found a, a stash of Playboy magazines. And so we just thought, well, what, what, I mean, teenage boy, playboy, uh, okay. So we went out, ran, not literally ran away from home, but we went and went away and went up into the hills and we're just looking through these playboys and, and, and we enjoyed it. And then something happened. 
I was born again. I wasn't pursuing God. I was pursuing sin. But then I, I was born again. And all of a sudden, when all my friends went out, and I went with them, and I opened up a magazine, I got sick to my stomach, and I closed it, and I couldn't, I, I couldn't, I couldn't enjoy that anymore. My, my desire had changed. And so, that's often what, what, what happened. What happens is we, we can't even enjoy the things we once did without feeling sick. And so, I mean, I, I grew up in the church. I mean, I grew up in the church, and I hated going to church. You know what I would do? I would grab the, 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 um, the tithe envelopes, and I would sit, and I'd grab a pen or a pencil and just draw the entire time. And I must have gone through hundreds, I'm not hundreds of tithe envelopes and it's not because I was tithing. I was just trying to kill time because I hated going to church. Prayer used to be a chore. And, and, but then I was born again. And then all of a sudden, I, I loved going to church. You couldn't keep me out of church. I had to serve. I had to be part of the church. I didn't tithe envelopes. I actually used them for the right reason. <laughs> what a concept, right? When prayer was a chore before, I couldn't wait to pray. You know, and I, I remember particularly, I couldn't wait to get home and just to pray on my own. See, when we are washed by the Holy Spirit, our old desires have passed away. And Paul would say, behold, all things have become new. Our new desires are to do work for God, as verse 8 tells us. Instead of us living for our own glory and worshiping ourselves, we now live for the glory of God. See, fallen people do what they want. Hear me out on this. Fallen people do what they want, and they have a choice to do that because that is their heart's desire. That is where their hearts take them. But God overcomes that desire and creates in them a new desire which is fused with God's heart. See, I wasn't having to talk myself into change. You've got to stop doing this stuff. You've got to stop porn. You've got to stop tithe envelope drawing. You've got to stop all of these things. You know, I, I, I just, I was born from above. And you know what I did with all those magazines? When my friends and I went out again, I grabbed them all and I just chucked them. I'm not even kidding, off this cliff in this hill and to, for never to be found again. Now the thing was, is I was regenerate. I was born again. I was born from above. I had new desires. None of my friends were born again yet. So they proceeded to chase me down. Not even, I started running as fast as I can. They chased me down and just beat the tar out of me. I'm not even kidding. Because they're like, what? And they literally just, Travis, what is, what is wrong with you? I mean, there's not many teenage boys who would willingly just give up pornography. But when God, the Holy Spirit comes, and you know it's true for your story. Those of you who have been saved, all of a sudden the things, the, the drugs, the alcohol, the worship of money, the worship of self, wanting power, all of a sudden all of those things are disgusting. They taste nasty compared to the glory of God. Because our desires have been changed. We've been born again. I wasn't the same person. I was regenerate. And, and, and listen, if God can do that with someone like me, he can do that with someone like you. Or he can do that to those who you think, man, they're the most wicked people. They're the most far off people ever. Oh, yeah? Well, they're the perfect candidate then for God's grace to come and just wreck them for his glory. I just think of Paul who wrote this letter to Titus. Paul's out to kill Christians. And yet God saves him. And I love who, again, who this letter and who these people are to reach out to. If you look at verse 12 of chapter 1, 
One of the Christians, a prophet of their own, said, Christians are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. So pre- preach the gospel to these people. These are the people who you need to be on mission for and reach. These are the people who need to be regenerate because their desires, they're enslaved, they're in bondage, they're blind, they're unable to see God apart from God the Holy Spirit, saving them. Which just goes to show this. Jesus loves you just as you are. That is true. But Jesus loves you too much to keep you where you are. He's going to bring you to himself. And so maybe even right now as we're talking, as we're sharing, Jesus is changing you. He is transforming you. He is renewing you. And he is bringing you to God the Father. That is all done through the Holy Spirit. When we become Christians, we have new life. We have new joy. Our life is a purpose now. We don't live for ourselves, but we live for God. And to be the Christian is the, the greatest thing. The, I take the worst day of being a Christian and the best day of enjoying sin in my past. Because God is gracious and glorious and we serve a, a king and a God who delights in helping the helpless. And as Jesus has said, to Nicodemus, Nicodemus, you must be born again. So I believe Jesus is saying to you this morning, or those listening on podcasts later, you must be born again. You have to be born again. Do you believe in Jesus? The gospel demands repentance. The gospel demands confession of your sin. Ask God, the Holy Spirit, to come and to save you and open your eyes to the the things that you're ensnared to and give you life in Jesus. Repent and turn to Jesus and love Jesus and he will save you and he will transform you because, guys, we worship a good and glorious God. He is good. As verse 4 says, the goodness and the loving kindness of our God and Savior appeared. He saved uh, so respond to Jesus, saving you in faith. And even if you are a Christian, come to the throne of grace and dwell and enjoy the presence of God, not having to strive to earn favor from God because of your unrighteousness, but because God has given you the righteousness of Jesus and you're pure before him. Let's pray. God, thank you for saving us. That before you created this world, you made a plan of redemption. Thank you that you've included us in this plan of redemption. Thank you, God, that you have caused us, as Peter said, to be born again. So Holy Spirit of God, would you have your way with us? God, we know that your word says that you are faithful and just to cleanse those and to forgive those of all unrighteousness for those who confess their sin. And so God, right now, in this moment, as a people, as we stand and as we sit in your presence, God, let us confess sin to you, Jesus, who are so beautiful. Cause us to be born again. Wash us through the power of your Holy Spirit. God, you love us. You are beautifully compassionate towards us undeserved people. Let us receive your grace and respond to the gospel in faith. 
maybe even as the most seasoned Christian or as a new believer even this morning. God, you don't just require some a lip service, but you require a life. We lay all of our life down at your feet. For you laid your life down for us. Thank you, Jesus. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope that Jesus is doing a work in your life from the message that you just heard. We would love to hear how you were impacted and what was impressed on your heart. Share your story by emailing connect at shorebreakchurch.com. And if you don't know Jesus as God, Lord and Savior, or you have more questions, send us an email to info at shorebreakchurch.com so we can get you dialed in with a free Bible and resources for your new relationship with Jesus.